Okay, here we are, message 15 through the book, The Song of Solomon, and we're coming to The Art of Commitment, Six Characteristics of a Life-Lasting Love. Now, some kids were asked, how do you make marriage last? And um, Tom, age seven, said, spend most of your time loving instead of going to work. Alonzo, age nine, said, don't have smelly green sneakers. You might get attention, but attention isn't the same thing as getting love. And I love Kenny, age seven. He said this, it gives me a headache to think about that kind of stuff. I'm just a kid. <laughs> At the last day of an all-husbands marriage seminar, picture that, <clears throat> the seminar director asked Luigi was approaching his 50th wedding anniversary to share how he managed to be married to the same woman for 50 years. And Luigi replied to all the assembled husbands, well, I've been a, I've tried to uh, treat her a nice, spend the money on her, the best that is. I took her to Italy for our 20th anniversary. And the director responded, Luigi, you are an amazing inspiration to all the husbands here. Please tell us what you're planning to do for your wife on your 50th anniversary. Luigi proudly re replied, well, uh, I'm going to go and get her. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now for the ladies. Another couple was celebrating their 50th anniversary and their domestic tranquility it was the talk of the town. And a local newspaper reporter was inquiring as to the secret of their long marriage. Well, it dates back to our honeymoon, explained the man. We visited the Grand Canyon and took this trip down to the bottom of the canyon by pack mule. We hadn't gone too far when my, wife's, when, my, my, when my wife's mule stumbled. My wife quietly said, that's once. We proceeded a little further and the mule stumbled again. Once more, my wife quietly said, that's twice. We hadn't gone a half a mile when the mule stumbled a third time. My wife quietly removed a revolver from her pocket and shot the mule dead. I started to protest over her treatment of the mule when she looked at me and quietly said, that's once. <laughs> so what is the secret to a life-lasting love? Well, not Luigi's advice, not this wife's behavior. One husband, by the way, said, we have married for better and for worse. She couldn't do better, I couldn't do worse. That's also not what we're talking about, okay? God's plan, though, is one man, one woman for one lifetime. God's plan is that we would marry for life and that we would only be parted by death. Now, there are some, however, who've gone through the pain of a divorce. We understand that. And that's so difficult. You are not a second-class citizen in God's eyes. God cleanses us from sin, and he only asks that we just learn and that we, you know, just continue to follow his word as he reveals it to us. God's word, however, on marital commitment is just crystal clear that we have in the Bible. Matthew 19, verse 6, Jesus said, Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Malachi, chapter 2, verse 16, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Wow. Statistically, from 1900 to the present time, the divorce rate in the United States has risen more than 700%. Another stat, today 40% of marriages, both Christian and non-Christian, end in divorce. 
Today, four in ten kids are from single-parent homes. I mean, is that what God intended, those statistics? I mean, question, how can any couple stay married for an entire lifetime? I've had so many young people come to me and just talk to me about how can this work out? I don't know anyone like you, Mark, or Tracy, who've been married like as long as you guys have been. The Song of Solomon ends where we would expect it to kind of end, and it gives us this amazing picture of this life-lasting love. And in this session, we're going to discover the essence of a love that lasts for a lifetime. Now remember, the Song of Solomon is about one couple, Solomon and the Shulamite, and there's eight scenes in this book. And we've learned over these, these past 15 weeks how to navigate these eight stages. The first stage was their attraction, and then the dating, and then the courtship, and then the ceremony, then intimacy, then conflict resolution, then deepening of romance. And finally, today, the last scene we see is this picture of commitment. On July 5th, 1986, I, reported, I re repeated these vows to Tracy. I said, I, Mark, take you, Tracy to be my light, lawfully wedded wife, to love and to cherish in health and in sickness, in prosperity and in adversity, and keep myself solely unto you so long as I both, we both shall live. And I commit to you according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge to you my love. I mean, how can I live out those vows to Tracy to the end of my life? The answer is by living out these six characteristics of a life-lasting love modeled by Solomon and the Shulamite. So the Song of Solomon concludes with this very powerful description of a love that lasts for a lifetime. So here we go, six characteristics of a life-lasting love. Now let me give you the context, okay? And then we'll dive in. They are just coming back from a romantic, you know, trip that they have taken. They had conflict. Remember, we studied that. They resolved that conflict. The romance led for them to get away to just a, a place by themselves, and now they're returning back to their home, back to Jerusalem, back to Solomon's palace, and presumably as they're making their way back home in Solomon's chariot, the friends who are back in Jerusalem and the servants, they make this comment. They make this observation, chapter 8, verse 5 in your notes. Who is this coming up from the desert leaning on her lover? Uh, the, the servants were saying, wow, look how close they're sitting next to each other. It's like they were one. Physically, they were close. They were together. They were shoulder to shoulder. The story is told about this, uh, this husband and a wife in, in their truck, and he's seated on one side and she's on the other, and they come to a stop sign and they look in front of them at another truck, and there's another couple in that truck, but they're seated together like two peas in a pod right next to each other. And the wife says to her husband, well, I remember when we used to be like that. And she kind of went on and on and on. And finally, the husband just spoke up and said, I haven't moved. The first characteristic of a life-lasting love, a love that lasts, is physical. In other words, it's close. It's flesh to flesh. A life-lasting love requires physical contact, physical touch. The other day, Tracy and I, we were driving, and I saw this couple holding hands. They had to have been in their 80s. And I was like, Trace, I go, look at that. That's you and me in just two years. No, in, you know, 30 years, that's us. You know, I'm just looking at that picture. 
That's God's plan for marriage, right from the beginning. Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one. Marriages that last are characterized by, watch this, oneness, emotionally, spiritually, and watch this, physically. Physical closeness, touch, contact, that's a sign of a life-lasting love. When's the last time you've touched your spouse? Not talking even sexually, just romantically. A clear sign you are in love is that you touch each other, that you want to be next to each other, that you hold hands. There's this regular, ongoing physical contact. I think we all know couples who, after they're married, you know, he goes into his world and she goes into her world and, and seldom do their worlds touch. Can that kind of love marriage last? Do you know what we say when we are in an argument with our spouse? We say, don't touch me. Why? Because touch is a demonstration of intimacy. If there is no touch, is there any intimacy? I remember reading about an unthinkable ancient experiment in Rome, and it was, you know, it was this. How would a child fare if they were raised without any touch? They actually conducted that experiment. And children that were raised with touch thrived. Children that were raised without touch literally died. Wow. Solomon and the Shulamite, in the later years of their marriage, they are shoulder to shoulder. Are you shoulder to shoulder with your husband or your wife? And here's the principle that I see. Physical closeness is cultivated on special dates. I mean, they're coming back from a special date. Never stop dating your spouse. It fuels physical closeness. A love that lasts is physical. I remember uh, being on an Alaskan cruise. Our whole family went on this cruise. And there was this couple celebrating their 50th years of being married. And the cruise director interviewed them and asked that couple in front of hundreds of people. And he took the mic and he brought it right to, right to the wife. And he said, what is the secret to being married for 50 years? We're all waiting. And she said this, quote, I have never had a headache. That means exactly what you think it means. And that brings us right into our next point on the second characteristic of life-lasting love. A love that lasts is also passionate. I remember reading about a pastor who was 80 years old. He retired, but he still loved doing weddings. And at the end of the conclusion of their premarital session with this younger couple uh, preparing for their wedding, the pastor said, okay, now you can ask me any question you want. No question is off limits. And the young man said, excuse me, but I'm curious. At what age do you stop having sex in marriage? And the old pastor said, I don't know, but I can tell you it's certainly after age 80. <laughs> A love that lasts is passionate. It's sexual. Um, a love that lasts is characterized by times of wonderful, meaningful sexual passion. We're not given the picture in the Song of Solomon that every night was a night of passionate bliss. That's not what we see in this book. But what is portrayed is that there are moments of sexual bliss in a healthy marriage. The principle is this that I see. Planning comes before passion. If you think that just sexual bliss is just going to happen, you're wrong. It takes planning. And watch this. The more planning, the more passion, especially the older 
you are and the longer you've been married. I want you to notice her planning for passion. This is a wife that is going to feed her marriage so that it will last a lifetime. Look at chapter 7, verse 11 through 13. She says, come, my lover, let, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. She's saying, let's go to a hotel. Let us go early to the vineyards and see if the vines have budded. Let's do an activity, a romantic activity. If their blossoms have opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom. And then she says, there I will give you my love. You say that to your husband. Bing! Yeah, let's go! Wow! Then she goes on. Look what she says. Chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house. When's the last time, wives, you've talked to your husband like this? She who has taught me. I would give you special wine to drink, the nectar of pomegranates. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. Then look at chapter 8, verse 5. Under the apple tree, I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she who was in labor gave you birth. It was under the apple tree. It was that place, that destination was where ultimately she made passionate love with Solomon. I want you to notice, she planned this all out. This is her. In the Bible, the fig tree is the place or the tree of meditation. Remember, Nathaniel meditated under the tree in John 1, 48. The olive tree in the Bible is always the symbol of Israel, nationalism. But then the apple tree is always the symbol of passion. It's a symbol of love. I mean, this woman knew what she was doing. I mean, she is leading her man to an amazing experience. She planned the whole romantic escapade, and it resulted in passionate love. So ladies, when is the last time you planned a special getaway for you and your husband to enjoy passionate love? A love that lasts is passionate, and planning comes before passion. The more planning, the more passion. So much in the book of the Song of Solomon have we challenged the men to be the leaders of romance. That's true. And the wife is called to be the responder. Ladies, you are called to respond. You are called to lead by reciprocating and doing things like what we're seeing here. If you're lacking passion in your marriage, follow the example of Shulamite. Raise the bar of your planning. The greater the planning, the greater the passion. Plan a romantic night. Light a vanilla candle. Get away in a special romantic destination. A love that lasts is passionate. Now, I want, I want you to discuss this a little bit in a way that won't be too embarrassing, okay? How can you improve your planning for greater passion? What I mean by this is some of you are really good at this. You live incredibly busy lives, but you still realize the value of this, and I'd like you to talk about that at your tables or if you're watching on video. How is it that you carve this time away? Where do you go to get away? How do you integrate that into your life? When other marriages are spinning opposite, you are still coming together. How do you do it? Share some of those things at your table. Just give you like a minute and a half. Go for it. Okay, a love that lasts. It's physical. A love that lasts is passionate. Let me give you a third thought. A love that lasts is possessive. Possessive. Now listen to the, the request that she makes to Solomon. She says this, chapter 8, verse 6. She says, place me like a seal over your heart. Now she's speaking like a seal on your arm. Now, what is this going on here? You have to understand this culture to understand this verse. A seal back then was a precious thing 
that was utilized to transact ownership. Back then, when a man would have his seal, it was typically his signet ring. It was this custom-designed ring with his own marking on it, kind of like a brand today we might put on cattle, okay? And this ring would, you'd press this ring into a substance of some sort, typically wax, and it would make his impression. And then there was no doubt that that item belonged to him or that document sealed the deal. That ring, when it gave its mark, conveyed ownership, purchase, is how business was done, the sale was final, the stamp, the seal, that was the proof of ownership. And she was saying this, it's beautiful Hebrew poetry, she's saying, Solomon, I belong to you now. Now, seal me in your hearts, stamp me on your soul. She was saying, I don't want any other woman in your hearts. I don't want your arm around any other woman. She was saying, I don't want you to be flirting with or be swayed by any other woman. If she were alive today, I believe she would also say, Solomon, please, honey, do not look at pornography. Please don't go there. Seal me in your hearts. And guys, there are few things that are more damaging to the psyche of a woman and to your own psyche than for you to look at pornography to let another woman, the gaze on her, come into your lustful eye gate. That's so painful. A love that lasts is possessive, you see. She doesn't want to share you with any other woman. He doesn't want to share you with any other man. One of the names for God that we have in the Bible is actually jealous. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And this is God speaking, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That is the character of God. He is jealous. God refused to share Israel with anyone else. There's such a thing as godly jealousy. There's such a thing as holy jealousy. A love that lasts is characterized by, watch this, godly, holy jealousy. A love that lasts is possessive. Now, that doesn't mean that we smother our husband or wife. That, that's not what's being talked about here. I mean, we help our husband or wife become all they can be. And there are times when the guys, they need to be with guys and the gals need to be with gals. Hey, we need our space. But once we put that ring on, no woman gets close to you as a husband. No man gets close to you as a wife. I never eat alone with another woman. Never. I never flirt with another woman. Never. I refuse to look at pornography. Never. I don't go there. Haven't done it. Never will I pray. Why? Because Tracy is sealed in my heart. A, a marriage that lasts is possessive. You protect yourself. Your wife protects her from anything that would take you away from one another. It's protective. You seal your wife in your heart as a man. You seal your husband in your heart as a woman. You protect yourself and each other. She goes on to say in chapter 8, verse 6, love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. That's, that's love. That's love in a marriage that will last. It's like this. One of the most common scenes that you'll see in the movies is when a guy kind of moves in on, on another guy's girl, you know what I'm saying? And what happens? A fight erupts. And it should because love is possessive. 
You want to see godly, holy jealousy in action? Just try to hit on my wife in front of me, and then you better start praying, brother. I mean, if the enemy is moving in, yeah, look at that. If the enemy is moving in on your husband and wife, okay, and there is no anger, there is no jealousy, there is no fit of rage, so to speak, are you really in love? Do you have a marriage that's going to last a lifetime? A love that lasts is possessive. It's not insecure, but it is possessive and protective. Amen? Because that's how God is with us. Number four, a love that lasts is permanent. Uh, chapter 8, verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. Uh, that, that's a powerful verse right there. See, when you love someone, I mean, hey, misunderstandings are going to come. Trials will come. Tracy and I, we've had all of that side. Uh, you'll go head to head. There will be times you will hurt one another. There will be times you cry. You'll feel broken. You're going to feel beat up. But God's love in you for your spouse continues no matter what. Rivers, it says here, cannot wash a life-lasting love away because God's love remains. And God's love remains in your heart, and so therefore your love remains for your spouse. Remember Hosea. His wife left him to become a prostitute, and Hosea, well, he left her. No, Hosea continued to love her. Wow. Love in marriage is designed to be permanent till death do us part. Biblical love is not a feeling. It's an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And the imperfect person is your husband or wife that you married. And you go into marriage realizing, I am marrying an imperfect person who's going to make mistakes. They're going to hurt me. But you go into marriage realizing this because love is not a feeling. The world says it's a feeling. Feelings come and go, and that's why marriages come and go. I'm not talking about the world's plan for success in relationships. We're talking about God's plan for how a marriage lasts forever. Love is a commitment. Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8, love is patient. This, this is what love is. This is God's definition of love. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That means it endures. It continues. Now, here's a principle. If your love going into marriage is conditional, it probably won't last a lifetime. See, a love that lasts for a lifetime is a love like God's love, which is un conditional. Imagine if God's love for us was conditional. One day God loves you because you pray. The next day God doesn't love you because you forgot to pray. I mean, would that be crazy or what? That's not God's love. God loves you unconditionally. Whether you pray or not, God loves you. His, his love will always be true to you because God's love for us is unconditional. Romans 8, 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A life-lasting love is permanent because God's love is permanent, and God's permanent love lives in us as believers, and we just extend that same love, not a feeling but a commitment, to our spouse. 
A love that lasts is physical. It's passionate. It's possessive. It's permanent. Fifth, a love that lasts is priceless. Oh, it's priceless. Now, question. How valuable, if you're married here right now, I want you to think about this. How valuable is the love you share with your spouse? Here's another way to put it. What is your love with your spouse worth? Let me give you a hypothetical. I know you probably never thought about this before. But if someone were to come up to you and offer you, let's say, $10,000 for your spouse, would you take the money? What about $1 million? In other words, could someone buy your spouse away from you? That was a hypothetical you weren't supposed to answer it out loud. Now, here's another hypothetical. If someone were to come up to you and offer you, let's say, 10000 for you, would you take it? What about $1 million? $1 million into your bank account if you would leave your spouse and only love them. Now, listen to what the Shulamite says, chapter 8, verse 7. If one were to give all the wealth of this house for love, it would be utterly scorned. The point here is you can't purchase love. You can't buy love. Love is freely given, and if you have it, it's priceless. A lifelong love is priceless. That's how it's held. The love I have with Tracy is priceless. It's of infinite value. I would never sell it for any price as if I could, and I would never... And you can never purchase it. It's freely given, and it's beyond monetary value. A love that lasts a lifetime is held as priceless. Now, here's the principle. Always thank the Lord for the love of your spouse. I mean, if you have a spouse that loves you, thank God. Thousands of people never find such love and would give anything for true, genuine, unconditional love. You do not know the number of people that have come into my office, tears in their eyes, lonely. They'll go through life, and they have never found someone that will love them and that they love. If you have that, that is so precious and so easy to take for granted. You need to thank the Lord every day for that kind of love. Mary Baker Eddy, she's the founder of Christian Science. First time I've ever quoted her. She, she died, but her diary was uncovered later. And one of the statements in her diary, just I couldn't believe it when I read it. She cried out in her diary saying this, Someone, somewhere, please love me. Someone, somewhere, please love me. If you are married, you have someone who is loving you, thank God for that. That is priceless. You're going to leave that or whatever and hope that maybe you'll find that? Whoa! That just doesn't happen very often, beloved. A love that lasts is physical, it's passionate, it's possessive, it's permanent, it's priceless. And number six, a love that lasts, it's provisionary. In other words, a love that lasts gives. It's other-centered. It provides. It lives for the other person. That's the nature of a love that lasts. It doesn't take. There's some taking, but there's more giving, actually. Let me give you three aspects of a, prov a provisionary, other-centered type of love that lasts. 
mean, if you have this other center type of love, marriage is going to last. Three ways that the Song of Solomon ends by talking about this type of love that gives. It's provisionary. Number one, you give contentment to your spouse. I mean, when your spouse gives you contentment, that's, that's, that's a love that's going to last. Now, let me explain this. Right now, we're going to read one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible about the importance of sexual purity. In chapter 8, verse 8, this presents us. You're going to have to listen real closely because this is not an easy scripture to explain. But this right here, when we come to verse 8, it presents us with what at first seems like a really odd question. And the best scholars, I've studied this a lot, uh, see this question as coming from the Shulamites' brothers. Now, you recall that the Shulamite's father, he's never mentioned in the entire book. Most likely, he died. He was never on the scene. And the Shulamite and the Shulamite's younger sister were raised by their mother and uh, two brothers, older brothers. And here's the question asked by the Shulamite's older brothers, chapter 8, verse 8. They speak up for the first time in the book, and they say, we have a young sister. That's not the Shulamite. That's the Shulamite's younger sister. And her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister for the day that she is spoken for? They're looking into the future for the day one day when there is a potential wedding for her. The older brothers were asking, when will we know when our younger sister is ready to marry and we as the male figures, are ready to give her in marriage. The ans they answer their own question in verse 9. From the example of the Shulamite, who, of course, is now married to Solomon. They say this in chapter 8, verse 9. If she is a wall, our younger sister, we will build towers of silver on her. That's, again, Hebrew poetry. I'll explain it in a second. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. Again, Hebrew poetry, what's going on here? The question here is this, when is a girl ready to be given in marriage? If she is a door, that is if she's sexually loose, like a door swings open, she's slutty, in other words, is what this is saying, she's not ready for marriage. If she is a wall, if she's sexually closed, a wall, protective, she's ready to be given. Now listen to the Shulamite, now married to Solomon, speak about herself. And she makes this very profound point that leads to how she gives comfort and assurance to Solomon. She says this, chapter 8, verse 10. I am a wall. She's saying, I remain sexually pure. I didn't sleep all over town. And my breasts are like towers. She's saying, I defended myself like a tower from sexual compromise. Thus, I have become in his eyes, that Solomon's eyes, like one bringing contentment. When Solomon sees me, I bring contentment to him. So let me try to explain this. What is she saying? She's saying, when Solomon looks at me, I bring him peace. I bring him contentment. I'm so grateful for the contentment and peace that Tracy brings to me in our relationship, and hopefully I provide the same for her. Much of this peace was built upon the foundation of not having sex with one another before we were married. You see, if you show self-control toward each other before marriage, you will give confidence and peace 
and contentment after marriage. When I travel to Asia, for example, several times a year, on missions trips, I'm away from Tracy. I'm not worried about Tracy. Why? Because if there was self-control before we are married, I trust Tracy to have self-control after marriage. The Bible, by the way, is not saying also that it's impossible to have peace and contentment in your marriage if you were less than perfect before you were married. But it is saying in this passage that sexual self-control before marriage is a huge help catalyst toward peace and contentment in marriage, that you provide that for your husband and wife because of your past. If that makes sense, say amen. The point here is a love that gives contentment and peace will last. The second aspect of a provisionary other-centered love that lasts is this. You give sexual pleasure to your spouse. Now listen to what the Shulamite says in chapter 8, verses 11 to 12. She says, Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Haman. And by the way, when you go with me to Israel, I'm going to take you to this vineyard. We know, generally speaking, where it's at. And there's still vineyards there today. He lent out his vineyard to tenants. And the Shulamite began as a tenant in that vineyard where Solomon first saw her. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. But then she says, but my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, O Solomon. And 200 are for those who tend its fruit. The Shulamite was saying this, I give the vineyard of my body to you, my husband Solomon. A love that provides sexual pleasure for your spouse will last. Solomon leased out his actual vineyard for profit, but the Shulamite here, she joyfully gave the vineyard of her body to Solomon freely. Giving that away is huge for love that lasts for a lifetime third aspect of a provisionary love that lasts is this. You finally give communication to your spouse. Listen to the final words of their communication one to another. Solomon speaks first, and he says this in verse 13. You who dwell in the gardens with friends, that he's speaking to her in attendance, let me hear your voice. He's saying, Shulamite, wife, I just want to hear you speak. I just want to hear you. Can we talk? Can we get together? I just, I just want to hear you. And then the Shulamite to Solomon, chapter 8, verse 14. Come away, my lover, she says, and be like a, a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. Let's get out of here, you stag of the man Solomon. Let's go out on a fun, special date. And there I can love you. They're really speaking each other's love language in their communication, and it's beautiful. So the book of Solomon, the Song of Solomon, it ends with Solomon and the Shulamite being other-centered, giving to each other. They give to each other contentment, sexual pleasure, and communication. A love that lasts is provisionary. It gives and lives for one another. So how can you have a marriage that lasts for a lifetime? How can we avoid becoming a statistic? You dedicate yourself to living out these six qualities of a love that lasts for a lifetime. Watch this. You don't wait for your husband to live these out. You don't wait for your wife to live these out. 
this is God's standard for you and for me. And we live these out for his glory, in his strength, and by his grace. So here's the checklist. And as I go through this checklist, I want to have you mentally in your heart say, check, I got that one, Mark, or I need to improve there. Here, here, let me just take you through. I want to make sure we get this down. Because my prayer for you, I want every one of you to have a marriage that lasts a lifetime. And those of you who are watching on DVD, you're not even married yet. You can have this. You can have this. Doesn't matter what's happened with your parents, with your friends. You can have this. You have the opportunity to start something brand new, a legacy that you can start. But this is the kind of love that comes from God that you can express one to another. A love that lasts is physical. You touch each other. Are you touching one another every day? I'm not talking about sex necessarily. I'm talking about holding hands, touching. If you're doing that, you've got a love that's going to last. A love that lasts is passionate. You cultivate passion with planning. The more planning, the more passion. This doesn't happen every night, but it happens once in a while. There's passionate moments. Are you having that? You got that? Check. Can you say, yes, that is in our marriage. Awesome. You got a marriage that's going to last. Love that lasts is possessive. You seal each other in your hearts. Is there jealousy, godly jealousy? You seal one another in your heart. I live for her and her alone. I live for him and him alone. You're possessive of that if you are. Wow. You are on your way for a love that lasts for a lifetime. A love that lasts is permanent. You love each other with an unconditional, nothing's going to separate us from each other type of love because that's God's love for you. You reflect that to your spouse. It's not always easy, but it's a commitment. You don't live by your feelings, which are up and down and lead you completely astray. No, that day you put that ring on, I am committed. It's permanent that we have, regardless. Love that lasts is priceless. You cultivate a love that is beyond financial value. You see how precious it is. This is incredible what God's given us. You guard it, you celebrate it, you talk about it, you hold it as so valuable. Can you say, check? Or do you have a wandering eye that's looking for the next? Guard against that. That's not God's plan for marriage. Get your eye focused back on your spouse. Lastly, a love that lasts is provisionary. You freely give to your spouse. What? Contentment and sexual pleasure and communication. It's not about you getting. It's about you giving. It's about you lavishing upon your spouse contentment, sexual pleasure, and communication. Here's a project for a love that lasts that I want to encourage you as uh, couples to do. Number one, discuss the one characteristic that reflects your strength. Of all these six P's that we just talked about, which one are you the strongest? And as you talk about that, I would like you to encourage your spouse with the one P that they are the strongest in, that you would encourage them as well as you would share the one you believe you're strongest in. Second, discuss the one characteristics that needs improvement. Of the six Ps, which one could use some attention? You share that with your spouse, but also your spouse shares with you. This is the one that could use improvement. Remember, there are no perfect marriages. Can you repeat after me? 
There are no perfect marriages, only growing marriages, only growing marriages. No perfect marriages, only growing marriages. Has this been a great growth experience, the Song of Solomon? Amen. Let's keep growing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have invented romantic relationships. None of us does this perfect, Lord. That's why we need your word, so we can make progress. Thank you that you have given to us, though, an entire book in the Bible that charts these eight stages for all romantic relationships, and that we see this displayed in the lives of a real man and a real woman, Solomon and the Shulamite. Thank you that you've given us a lot of lessons and insight that we've learned over the course of these 15 weeks. And Lord, I want to pray for all married couples. I want to pray for all those who will one day enter into marriage. I especially pray, Lord, that you would bless each marriage and future marriage with these six characteristics of a love that lasts for a lifetime. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.